Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WET, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the Health Promotion Suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for a non-traditional campus. My name is Bella, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Josh, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And my name is Quinn. My pronouns are he, him, his. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be your hosts for this podcast. Let's get into it. Hello, welcome to the Routine Slash Finals episode. Before we get started, I just want to do a few announcements, um, reminders, and just letting you know that if you want to do the pass, no pass option for your courses for this term, you have the option to um, select that up until Monday of week 10, which will be June 1st. So until June 1st, you can choose pass, no pass if the course allows for that um, through BandWeb. And in the description of this episode, we walk you through the steps of how to do that. Um, And we also just wanted to have a quick content warning that We're talking about self-worth in academia in this episode towards the end. So if you're wanting to not listen to that section, um, we talk about it right after we talk about academic coaching. So other than that, um, we have a lot of other resources and things to check out that we didn't mention in the episode or maybe mention briefly um, that are listed in the description. So check that out. Um, And we hope you enjoy. Welcome to the routines slash finals episode, where we'll be kind of talking a little bit about how to create, you know, some semblance of structure during this chaotic time um, when so many of us are stuck at home and in so many different situations where we're still trying to, you know, get stuff done. Maybe we're still in school, um, trying to do finals week during quarantine. Um, So we're just going to talk a little bit about how to maintain some sort of structure and routine within all of this. Um, And so I want to start off with a conversation with Crystal talking about why are we even talking about routines? Thanks, Bella. Um, So I think kind of like you hinted at in the beginning is routine. Routines are really important, especially during this time that things can be a little bit chaotic because it can give us something to be grounded to and to come back to, to sort of slow down and have some structure and also feel like we have some control in our lives in a time that we might be feeling a little out of control. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I know a lot of times like people have a lot of trouble actually making the routine stick and, you know, having that new habit that they want to have actually become part of their daily life. Um, So what are some tools, like actionable tools that people can use to actually like make that behavior change and make something that they are able to stick with? Yeah. So I think one of the funny things about routines is that there's sort of two categories that they fall into. And one of them is the things that are routines that we don't really think about, we just do them. And then maybe routines that are more like conscious or choices that we are trying to change or do differently. And I think the sweet spot is kind of somewhere in the middle. And 
being able to change things that you're wanting to do into sort of that natural automatic habit. And there's a lot of different techniques that you can use to work towards this, but a couple that uh, I find stand out are things like action triggers. So that's when you have one action that cues another action. So for example, maybe when you first wake up, you want to uh, you know, read right away. And so you um, have your book next to your alarm clock. And as soon as you touch your alarm clock, you pick up the book. Like that could be an action trigger. And you can use this for all different kinds of habits and routines. Um, another great option is um, to create an environment that really fosters the behavior that you want. So if you are wanting to improve your sleep hygiene, um, but you are trying to sleep in a place that you know has a lot of light and noise and that's something that you can control uh, then that can help you know improve your sleep hygiene if you're changing the environment you're in um, and I think what's really important to talk about with behavior change as well is leaving room for errors and mistakes and changes because they're going to happen uh, no one does any one activity perfectly 100% of the time, and especially when you're starting something new. So knowing that you're going to fall out of the habit or you're going to make a mistake and that that's totally fine and it does not have to impact sort of your value or your self-worth, uh, and it's just an opportunity for you to learn something about, you know, maybe you do need to change that environment or maybe you need to approach the activity in a different way or do it a different um, method and so it's a learning opportunity and it's totally okay and it's just get back up and do it again um, and also I think leaving room for change is really important because especially right now our lives are changing really rapidly for most folks and so expecting one habit or routine to fit long term is just not very realistic and so having that kind of growth and change mindset can be really beneficial and can make doing behavior change or routine change a lot more enjoyable uh, because you don't feel so confined and frustrated in what um, you think you need to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. All of that was super helpful. And I think especially that point about knowing that you are going to make mistakes and that there's going to be days where maybe you didn't do the thing that you were planning to do. Um, and I think a lot of us get stuck in that mindset or like habit of once we fail at something once, we just stop doing it altogether. And um, seeing every new day as an opportunity to start fresh and to, to integrate new habits and do things that feel good and let go of things that don't. Um, and I think also as we are moving towards like reintegrating into society and these different phases that are happening, especially in different states, um, how are we going <laughs> to, this is a big broad question and I don't expect you to have one perfect answer, but how do we kind of adjust our routines as we're moving from quarantine back into some form of like being back in society with social distancing and all of that? Yeah, so I think one behavior change technique that could be really helpful for this particular situation is what's called looking for bright spots. And basically, bright spots are times that a desired behavior is already occurring. 
and sort of looking for not quite a silver lining, but just almost where is this, you know, sweet spot happening already? And then what can you do to make that happen more often or to kind of continue to foster that behavior? And so I think that during times of adjustment, that's really applicable because, you know, there's a good chance that some of the things that you're going to be transitioning into, you're already doing in some capacity. So it's looking at expanding that or how can you do it in a slightly different way? And so, you know, if it's something like getting back into the habit of, you know, maybe commuting, which we might be a long ways off of that one at the moment, but, you know, at some point we might start commuting again. So when are you already kind of getting up and maybe leaving the house? Do you maybe walk your dog in the morning? Uh, things like that, that can kind of help you just get into that pattern again of like, I'm going to get up and put clothes on and walk outside. Um, and even just doing that, you know, that's a good sort of bright spot of integrating what it's like to kind of go back out into the world. And I was talking with someone the other day about sort of this reintegration of socialization that's going to be really challenging for a lot of people. We've been, you know, if you've been in social isolation and then now we're going back into being around other people, there's a lot of social anxiety that can come up. And so taking small steps with that, you know, maybe just having short interactions at first or having more online interactions to kind of get used to being around people again. Um, just kind of taking those small steps, I think, is really going to help. Yeah, absolutely. Those bright spots are super important to um, take into account and just take note of. And even sometimes like literally taking note of when that habit is working well and like what environment helps you do that thing that you really want to do or um, helps you feel really good about your day or about your morning. Um, so Crystal, some, what are some guidelines for how to create routines? Well, one thing that you just mentioned that I think is really great for pretty much any aspect of life, but routines is one of them, is sort of taking note, and I'm a big believer of actually writing it down. So writing down those observations you make about a behavior change, writing down what you want to do, writing down a plan um, can really help. But in addition, I think that one of the most important aspects of routine is sleep. I find that if I'm not, you know, sleeping consistently, then the rest of my routine is all thrown off. And so I think that that is just kind of like a keystone of having a regular routine and having that structure. And so I think what, I mean, sleep hygiene is a big topic that consists of a lot of components, but I think one of the big parts, especially in terms of behavior change is having a bedtime. Um, and preferably having a bedtime and a waking up time um, so that you're kind of sleeping consistently at the same time each night. Um, although it doesn't have to be at the night, you can actually sleep uh, like a swing shift sleep or during the day or whatever, as long as it's consistent. Um, and then I think also with having a bedtime, having at least one activity that prepares you for bed. And this is also kind of a great place to practice behavior change. Um, if this isn't something you naturally do, then having a bedtime and having a bedtime routine is going to be a really great spot to sort of start overall kind of behavior change practices or start trying to have a daily routine. 
And so doing at least one activity, um, it could be something like stretching or reading, listening to music, anything that's um, avoiding a lit screen um, so that you're not disturbing your melatonin production uh, can be really beneficial to help get, get your brain into that uh, sleepy state. And that's kind of what we were talking about earlier with, you know, creating an environment that fosters the behavior you want. That's really what you're doing with a bedtime routine. Um, and in addition, I think that something that's maybe extra applicable definitely has been for me during quarantine is napping and keeping naps to a shorter amount of time um, under 45 minutes. So like a 20 or 30 minute sort of power nap can really help not to disrupt your sleep cycle or any other routines that you might have, uh, which can be challenging during quarantine. I've definitely wanted to nap more, um, but having that sleep hygiene just can help kind of move you throughout the day a little bit smoother. Yeah, absolutely. And there's even like coffee naps you can take where you can um, drink some coffee. I mean, obviously this depends on how coffee affects you and when it kind of kicks in, um, but take a nap, you know, during that interval time. And then when you wake up, the coffee's kicking in and you're ready to go and you're ready to um, jump right back in. Um, and I just want to say in general, like we said, you're, you're probably going to make mistakes when you're trying to do this and there's going to be off days um, and just not giving up and being gentle with yourself and, and having forgiveness and knowing that it's not going to look perfect every day and you're not going to be your best self every day and that's okay. Um, and also to focus on like creating these routines and, and prioritizing your health in a way that's like focusing on your well-being and, and really making sure you're taking care of yourself instead of just like, oh, I want to be more productive um, or, you know, I want to, I want to be my best self so I can serve others, but really just like taking care of yourself for you and focusing on like um, what feels good and, and making sure you're, you're, you know, fostering behaviors that promote your entire well-being overall holistically. And also knowing like what's best for you at the moment. Like sometimes a nap is going to be what's best for you. And then sometimes actually you've got a lot of work to do. Maybe the nap isn't the best thing for you. Um, so really being honest with yourself and figuring out like your capabilities and, and what's going to, um, you know, promote your best self in that, in that moment. Um, so what are some tips that you have, Crystal, for creating structure that, that works for you? Yeah, so I think um, kind of touching on what you were just talking about with, you know, focusing on like well-being instead of productivity, I think in addition to that, um, focusing on the process instead of the end result is really important because a lot of times the end result might not be like all that it's cracked up to be or it might feel really, really far away and focusing on that is often not that motivating but focusing on the process or how you feel while you're doing the behavior change or in the moment can be really rewarding. So an example of that might be like, for me, this happens a lot with exercise. Um, I don't even really have end goals for exercise because I find them to be not very motivating and just very sort of abstract. But when I think about 
you know, when I'm exercising, how it feels really good to have all these endorphins and it makes me feel happy and I feel like less tension in my body. Um, thinking about that stuff makes me want to keep doing the behavior more than thinking about, you know, being able to do 20 push-ups in a row. Uh, so a lot of times the process is a lot more motivating actually. Um, and so that kind of leads me to talking about like different techniques and how trying out different processes are, a, is a really great way to sort of work through behavior change. So there's, I mean, a million and one ways to get something done. And there are behaviors that I've been doing for years and years of my adult life, but I still change how I do them because like we were saying earlier, you know, life changes. And so give things, different things to try. And it's kind of fun to, you know, maybe chat with other people or read online about what other people are doing to help give you some new ideas about how you can um, implement different behaviors or goals into your routine. And the other thing I would say is definitely take your time with this stuff. Um, and starting by assessing your capacity, if you even can do a behavior change right now, uh, especially like we've been talking about a little bit during quarantine, there's been a lot of outside pressure to be really productive or to be really like improving yourself. And that's not really what this time or any time has to be about. Uh, it's really whatever you have the space for, whatever serves you, whatever is going to help you do what you need is what you should be focusing on, not external measures of how you should use your time or energy. And so if you have the capacity to do something, then that's great, move forward. But if you don't have the capacity and it's not the time for you to work on that thing, that's totally fine. And that's exactly where you need to be. And that's awesome. Um, but if you are making a behavior change, don't rush it. Um, it takes several weeks actually before something kind of becomes a habit. Uh, and it can take even longer than that for it to become sort of one of those natural habits, like I mentioned earlier. So give it at least maybe a week or so to see if you even like sort of the method or the approach, and then maybe make adjustments, and then maybe give it a few more weeks to see if it's working. Um, and if it doesn't, just cut it off, let it go. Uh, if it doesn't serve you, you don't need it. Yeah, that is all super helpful. And um, one thing I also want to mention with like both academics and routines is like imposter syndrome of of not thinking that you're the type of person who does this. Um, you know, maybe you you never have, you know, really eaten healthy before and you're just like, oh, well, I'm just not that way. Um, or I'm not a yoga person. And, and really kind of letting go of that kind of tying habits to your identity and and trying to attach yourself and your identity to something more positive of like yeah I'm a person who cares about my health and even if it's more general even if it's not like I'm a person who eats broccoli every day but but if it's like I'm a person who cares about my well-being and the well-being of the planet and my environment and um, you know the people around me that can be a good starting point to really like identify with with these habits and and keep going and not lose yourself and and beating yourself up if you aren't able to do it in the way that you thought you might um so kind of moving towards academics what are some elements of you know the previous routine from from 
you know, before this time um, that can still work in this environment? And what new things can you try? Is there anything we can learn from this? How are academic routines kind of changing in this time? And, and how can we move that forward into the next phase of this process? Yeah, so I think that academic routine is so individualized, um, which is great. And it's really about kind of whatever works for you. There's certainly uh, study tips and such that I've been given that I completely do not work for me and vice versa. So one thing that I think it is pretty applicable across the board is still sort of having a plan of some sort, um, whether that's, you know, you schedule your time. That's what I do is I schedule the exact time that I'm going to be doing different academic activities or whether it's, you know, you make a checklist or you uh, just make goals of kind of what activities you're going to do, what weeks, um, however it works for you. But I think definitely having a game plan um, can be helpful and not that everyone will have this experience, but for me, having a plan reduces my anxiety because I feel, don't feel like something is going to pop up unexpectedly. Um, and that's been really positive in sort of a time of heightened anxiety, just with the state of things in the world, having, you know, sort of one thing that you can kind of plan for and sort of control a little bit, it can be really beneficial. And I think that in terms of learning from this, I think that there's a lot that all of us could have learned, whether it's around you know, what it's like to be studying maybe alone more. Um, I used to do a lot of study groups before this, and that's definitely changed. And so kind of adapting some of those tools from like group learning to more individual learning. And I think that also sort of the process of, it might depend on what class you're in, but being a little bit more flexible, for example, I didn't get a textbook that I was supposed to have until the middle of the term. And so, you know, working with my instructor to figure out what, how can we problem solve this? That was a new experience for me. And so these things can be challenges, but I think they definitely are, are learning opportunities and um, give us space to sort of flex some of the creative problem solving muscles that we have. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I have done um, this term that I really haven't done before was like going to office hours and actually like talking to my professors because I had to, um, to kind of work around like everything that's going on. Um, and that's something that I really had done before. So that's, that's a positive habit that I, I definitely want to carry into the, the, next year um and hopefully can benefit from in the future um and we'll we'll provide in the description some more resources for how to create that like focused work time and more details about that um but i i want to ask logan we have logan here um as part of our what team about academic coaching because i know that's a part of um the resources we have from PSU and that can help you really build your academic routine. So can you tell us a little bit about what academic coaches are and, and where people can find that at PSU? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So hello, my name is Logan. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I previously worked for University Housing and Residence Life as a resident academic mentor. Um, 
and I ended up leaving uh, for spring term to come back home and be with family, but I still like am plugged into all of the academic coaching resources and I know what's up there. Uh, so academic coaching um, is a program that's offered at Portland State University, both through housing and at the university library. Um, it's an underutilized resource, in my opinion, because academic coaching, people hear it and they think that it's going to be about tutoring. They think that it's going to be like, oh, you didn't get the grade that you wanted in this class. It's actually really not because the program is set up to understand that Students, especially in higher education, are complex human beings that are dealing with working, they're dealing with family, they're dealing with, you know, shifting times because, um, you know, for standard age students, so like 18 to 22, that tends to be a time of shifting a lot. And then furthermore, we have a campus that is pretty diverse in age, so that means diverse in life circumstances. Um, so a lot of academic coaching is actually about self-empowering individuals to find tools that work for them uh, and how to essentially rework your academic routines and your goals so that they can accommodate the life that you currently have and the life that you one day want to have. Um, and those resources again are provided through University Success, which is through University Housing and also through the uh, Learning Center at the Portland State Library. They're doing online Zoom sessions to accomplish these things. And um, people living in housing can access these resources uh, just by emailing your resident academic mentor, your learning community assistant, whatever you have. Um, and for everyone else who doesn't live in university housing, please reach out to the Learning Center at the PSU Library. I know that there's a lot of people there that want to help. Fantastic. Thank you, Logan. Those are awesome like resources and tools. Um, definitely give them a check out if folks want to. But I think kind of like shifting from that routines element and focusing more on the surviving finals aspect of it, um, I want us to like focus on and talking about that concept of like self-worth in academia. And one thing I want to like highlight that I think will apply to like the dialogue we're going to be having is something that like Crystal said, um, the, the idea of like focusing on the process and not on the end goal. I feel like in our society, um, and I, myself too included, I have such a hard time of like remembering that it's about the journey, not the destination. And like, and like truly like you learn so much about yourself and other people during that like the process of whatever it is that you're like going through or dealing with or working through but like remembering to focus on that and not the the end is is so hard do you have any um like thoughts or topics about that kind of logan yeah so i think that's something um that stuck out to me when i was a resident academic mentor and this still sticks out to me as a student and knowing my peers is that students who are failing their classes and are in like fail safe programs to try and keep them in university and students that you know are like <laughs> knocking it out of the park both in results and honestly in the information that they're retaining and they're just really invested in their academics there is going to be imposter syndrome imposter phenomenon across the board um and I think that a huge reason for that 
is because we've been taught, um, regardless of whether you went the private, the homeschool route, the uh, public school route, we've been taught to find value in our academic performance. Um, and in time and for how many years a lot of people in higher education have been studying, that means finding your individual self-worth or at least a pillar of it based in, you know, how smart are you is equated with what grades have you been getting? Um, or like, oh, this is really impressive. You got into this Ivy League school uh, when really, you know, like there's, you know, like people get these compliments all the time about their academic performances. And it's like, oh, I wouldn't be getting this compliment if I wasn't doing as well as I'm doing. Or like, oh, I haven't heard a compliment in a while. Maybe it's because I haven't been succeeding like I used to. Uh, and this professor is seeing that, so they're not saying anything. Um, so I guess what I'm saying here really is that academia can thoroughly impact somebody's self-image, the self-worth that they feel. And, you know, um, right now, because so many people are not used to this way of learning, where it's been very much so turned into individualistic learning, which is not how we've been taught to learn, um, it's definitely harder to figure out where we're at in our studies. It's harder to figure out, you know, how can I help myself learn more at this point? And um, students have been thrust into a situation that a lot of people did not expect to ever be in because learning is so social. Yeah, I know this term, I've seen some of like the highest achieving people that I know. So the ones that, you, you know, typically like we've been taught to be like, oh, those are the smartest people I know. Um, and they, they are, they're incredibly, incredibly dedicated and, and intelligent people. But I have, I've been seeing, I had one of them say, yeah, I failed this midterm and it's, I've never done that in my entire life. Or I haven't shown up for class for like the first time ever. And, and all of these, like these, really, really difficult firsts to have to deal with, especially like in higher education where uh, it can feel like that, like your ability to like, like live because like people's like financial aid is like so in like twined with your academic performance um, to have like those first thrust on you during all of this pressure is, is, is a very challenging time. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to talking about, um, Earlier when I was describing the benefits that academic coaching offers students at Portland State University, this goes back to the concept of students have their academics tied into every aspect of their life. It is impacting their work schedule, it is impacting um, financial aid scholarships that they receive, it's impacting, <laughs> you know, it's definitely the flap of a butterfly's wing right now. Um, and it you know, people's performance in academics tends to pervade almost every aspect of their life. So like if you do really poorly on a test, um, you're probably not going to want to be like, yes, I'm going to spend the whole weekend like doing all these plans that I wanted to do. You're probably going to have a moment where you're like, I don't feel like doing the things that make me happy because I'm so frustrated with myself. Sorry, because I'm so frustrated with myself. That's commonly you know, an action that kind of like digs people deeper into a hole. And that kind of goes back to how like academics have such a severe impact on 
not only how we see ourselves, but also the following actions, which becomes the cyclical thing. Um, so because of that, I think it's really important to talk about the fact that there are ways to slowly but surely change how your self-worth can fit into academics. Um, and this is acknowledging that these, <laughs> these ways of changing how we view our self-worth within academics is, you know, it's, mm, how should I it, say this? It's not, um, our, the larger society and culture that we live in um, doesn't want, like it has, has set the table for a plot, like, it, it's so much, it's so much simpler to just be like, oh, you didn't get an A, therefore you don't understand the topic and you're not like smart. That's, that's so black and white and easy instead of like picking apart like your life circumstances. How is this teacher teaching in the style? Like there's, it, it's easy um, for it to just be like a blanket term and, and it's reinforced culturally and, and like with the systems that we have in our society. It's so much harder to like individually sit down with that and at a community level too. But but I, but I hear what I hear what you're saying that it is it is so important, and I think that we we want to hold space and just acknowledge the fact that yes this is an individual and community like level like like work to try and to try and change those thought processes and like removing the the self worth from your academic per, like performance but uh, but it yeah is, it is and yeah I think yes it is challenging. Um, I for sure believe in the fact that self-worth at the end of the day um, is one of the most important things to prepare to propel you for academic success. Um, it's the thing that makes you want to move on and learn more about the field that you're passionate about or learn more about the field that's going to buoy your future. Um, but there's a lot of research on this that one of the best ways to not only get the most out of your classes uh, and one of the best ways to you know really soak in the moment and actually try and stay mindfully present rather than snowballing into the future and think if I don't get an A on this test I'm not going to get into the grad school that I want to get into. Um, if I don't get this score on the GRE I don't think that I'll get the scholarship that I need to get or the you know the teacher assistantship um looking at those things yes it's very easy to understand why we place so much pressure on our academic performance the best way to root yourself and get the most out of your experience in life is to look at how far you've come look at what are the motivations that are propelling you forward um and really you know this kind of goes back to what crystal was talking about with working out like what are the subjects that make you so happy to talk about? Why are you in this major? Why are you in this field? Um, finding the place that makes you happy and looking, you know, more positively towards the future surrounding it is one of the best ways to, you know, um, change your view on academia and how you can find value within self-worth. Thank you. I, I think that that's a the perfect way of putting that. Um, just encouraging um, each other to like continue to like look in that perspective, um, nudging like friends and colleagues around that, um, and yourself. Just reminding, and again, like what with Crystal and Bella were talking about, 
um, this is kind of a routine in itself, uh, in a way, and getting yourself like used to like thinking this way. So it's if you slip up or you have a day where you just get into that spiral of like self doubt, um, that's fine. Um, I just we got to just keep moving towards that. I think another thing that kind of can be discussed around that is especially with everyone everyone is dealing with trauma right now this is in and of itself a traumatic event let alone all the little traumas that everybody is being exposed to within their interpersonal lives that we you know we probably will have no idea ever um but i i think touching on just acknowledging that like just because uh, like like i see those incredibly smart intelligent hardworking people in my life you know failing a midterm doesn't negate you know your your own personal like difficulties and struggles and it's do you have any any thoughts along along how to like avoid comparing that or like the that like imposter syndrome with call yeah i think it's so absolutely natural for humans to compare experiences it's kind of how we develop a scale um you know how bad do i really have it or wow, that person seems like they're not doing as bad as I am. It's very natural to have these thoughts. Um, I think something that helps to avoid comparing those traumas or situations is understanding that we are always at the end of the day going to have these feelings that we can't control. Our, our brains are going to make us think things. Um, and knowing at the end of the day that there's a way to think these thoughts and also talk yourself out of them or change your feelings towards them. Um, mainly by being like, at the end of the day, this person's suffering in their own way that I can't comprehend and I'm suffering in my own way that the other person can't necessarily comprehend. But we do have this shared experience of feeling like things are wrong right now and it's okay that we both feel like they're wrong. Um, and basically coming to terms with the fact that people are going to have their own experiences day in and day out. Um, and that as long as people have good intent of just saying like, let's move forward through this together, that's a good way to leave it. It's okay to, you know, find forgiveness within yourself when you find yourself having those thoughts of like, oh, I bet that this person doesn't have to deal with what I d dealt with. And then stepping back and being like, whoa, that was a really funky thought. I'm frustrated with myself for having that thought. Then the next step is to be like, it's okay. Let's just move onward and acknowledge the fact that everyone is struggling right now. Sweet. Thank you so much, Logan. I appreciate that. And thank you to Crystal as well for joining us on this episode. I think really just, Ending on the idea that we are on this weird, bizarre, like incredibly challenging journey this year together, and we're all going through our own things at one time, um, but just know that the process of, and whatever the process of this is going to be for you is, is the, the, the goal of this, is the, what's where all like the, the growth and self like knowledge will come from, and, and just have like the compassion and kindness for whatever, whatever route this journey takes you on there'll there'll be exciting stuff along the way so thank you all um, and thanks to Bella for also moderating as well
Yeah, thanks. This is a great episode. And make sure to check out the resources that we leave in the description. We hope you enjoyed this episode of What's Up. We'll catch you next week on our next episode, which moving forward will be posted every Wednesday. For spring term, we've moved our huts to Instagram Live. You can find us at PSU underscore what, and you can find us there once a week for our virtual huts. OPSU has gone fully remote until the end of summer term 2020. We wanted to let you know that Shaq is still here for you. We're fully committed to the physical and emotional health as well as wellness of our PSU students. Both our health services and counseling services departments can be used by scheduling a telehealth appointment by calling the phone number 503-725-2800. If you're looking for more casual information, check out our online health magazine at pdx.campuswell.com and our brand new virtual mind spa experience. There'll be website links for all that good stuff in the episode description below. If you have any questions around health or well-being information during this time, we also have a Google form that you can complete for us to be able to answer your questions on our Instagram or webpage. Links for that in the description as well. Thanks for listening and take care.